0: The Scuttlebutt is proud to welcome Millerstown Pickapart, a self service salvage yard where you can get parts you need for your car, truck, or van at very attractive prices because you do the work. Bring your own wrenches, hammers, screwdrivers, sockets, jacks, drills, or whatever you need, except for torches, to wrestle out the parts you need for the vehicles in the yard. Millerstown Pickapart was created 17 years ago to provide reasonably priced solutions for auto parts needs. Millerstown is the perfect fit for those seeking discount auto parts to repair their own vehicles. Millerstown has a huge inventory of cars, which they purchase from individuals, towing companies, and auctions, and from its sister auto salvage recycling operation. For hours, directions, inventory, parts availability, and pricing, you can go to pickapartyard.com. That's P-I-C-A-P-A-R-T. Y-A-R-D, pickapartyard.com, or call 724-224-4777. That's pickapartyard.com, or call 724-224-4777.
1: Laying blame does no good. Wanting retribution for the ills of the past does no good. The only thing we can do is to endeavor to create a brighter future for these people.
0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. This week is part two of our conversation with Adam Zafuto about his time in Afghanistan and his thoughts on the evacuations and the end of the war. Uh, again, it's a candid conversation. So trigger warnings are in effect for this episode. Uh, and as always, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube. And if you haven't seen the first part of this conversation, I, I ask that you go back, watch that first part, and then come back to us for part two here. And as always, please reach out to me at Sean S H A U N at VeteransBreakfast Club.org. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Being on some text threads with Afghan veterans who you know, guys who fought in Afghanistan in different units and kind of keyed in on the right signal channels of, of where you can find like real factual information and seeing like, man, hey, and knowing, hey, the 205th Corps just surrendered, the 215th Corps just surrendered, like, and seeing armories full of weapons falling to the Taliban. It was like, hey, man, this isn't being covered by the news. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's talking about the fact that like multiple capitals and provinces are falling and, everything's collapsing back to Kabul. And that's where I just found this to be this, we were just stuck in this cycle of being told everything was going well. And then in Mm -hmm. reality, it's like, Hey, I, I can't even get my people. Like, even if I could know for sure that they were on some list somewhere in Hamid Karzai airport to get them onto a plane, The issue is I can't even get them to the gate because I have to get them through the Taliban first. And then I have to get them through the mass of humanity that was packing those gates Mm -hmm. and then get them to try to find somebody who has their name and who knows who they are and can point to those people and say, okay, now this went on for like a week and a half that we're trying to get people through these gates. And it just, the situation became one where we, um, we were lucky to be able to hear some, have some intelligence from on the ground, and be able to push our people away from the Abbey Gate, um, and that like it may have saved people's lives, you know. Yeah. But we don't and the know. The
0: Abbey Gate was where the uh, was where the, the suicide, suicide bomber attacked. and that was just sort of what we were waiting for. Like yeah, that so was what, that was almost an inevitability. It Was like yeah, somebody's going to do something. So speed it up
1: yes yeah and it was seeing pictures from the other side of those gates of Mm. there's there's some videos out there and i think um i think that that's a this is also an issue that we as a nation need to like we need to be laser focused with is the men and women who were at those gates um and that were manning some of those entry control points they need to be cared for their mental health needs to be cared for. Cause if anyone has seen some of the videos of what was happening, you have Marines and you have American paratroopers who are in their hearts, good people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're just, it's a 19 year old kid who is having to shoot rubber bullets into a crowd of women and children,
0: you yeah. know,
1: and shoot tear gas into crowds of humanity that are just trying to escape the guy's,
0: on the other side
1: back there, who are going to kill them if they don't get through and they're this is something that I don't think psychologically that anyone was ready to deal with, much less a 19-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, who they were asking to do this. And then when that um that suicide bomber hit the Abbey Gate, it, it became this like, well, we knew that was gonna happen. Everybody who we were kind of keyed in with new, like, it's only a matter of time. And like, man, you're asking a 19 year old kid to shoot tear gas and rubber bullets into a crowd of people for their own good. And it's Mm -hmm. God awful. And it, I think just the thing that like a, that a lot of veterans kept saying is as we talked is like, it didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to be like this. It didn't have to, It didn't have to all fall down like this. It didn't have to be this mass of humanity attempting a, like an airlift out. And now we find ourselves in the reality of we left tens of thousands of people behind tens of thousands of people that if we do not get them out of Afghanistan, they are going to be executed. And that's, that's the part that maybe Sean, we put a little content warning up. Mm -hmm. Um, where well, we can get into, I think, a little bit of some of the firsthand reports from the ground of, of what was, was happening. So if you have um, sensitive ears and you're not interested in hearing about some of what has been happening on the ground, then we'll put in a, uh, a content warning here. But Totally. Um, so the executions started pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, from the beginning of the evacuation, the executions kind of started. They were, um, the Taliban had always been executing interpreters. Whenever they would find them at home, they would kill. Them. Um, and now it became with a complete lack of governance, any interpreter that was outside of, you know, Kabul was getting killed. And so what happened is um, inside of Kabul, there's a couple of Western hotels. One of them is the Serena hotel. Um, And so what the Taliban was doing was they were sending out text messages to and emails to known interpreters. And this is where um, this was coordinated with with outside governments. This wasn't just um, the Taliban. There was there was some money and some technical expertise behind this that definitely shows that this was an opportunity for people who don't like us to put a couple arrows into our back on the way out. Um, they sent out false visas and false visa information to a lot of known uh, individuals and told them to meet at the Serena Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people we were helping to kind of shepherd through were also kind of sent that information. Um, mm-hmm. And we, luckily enough, um, having some in like some intelligence connections, were able to kind of ferret out that like do not send them to the Serena Hotel. The Serena Hotel is a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And what was happening is people were showing up to the Serena hotel, well-dressed men in suits that anyone think were Western. They would show them. Oh, yeah. They were leading them out back and they were getting shot. And that's these things that were happening. Like as we're on the ground, evacuating people, the Taliban is shooting people
2: mm-hmm.
1: behind a hotel. They're using technical expertise from outside countries to do it as well. Yeah. Um, outside of just things like that, you had the Taliban was just taking their general approach to uh, crowd control, which is indiscriminately beating people with cables, firing AKs at them.
0: Yeah. Um, or beating them with their AKs. I've saw some videos Beating them with their that.
1: AKs, beating them with cables. It's all of the things that we've, we know that they're known for. Um, some of the things that became like, man, this is not just a rebel group taking a city. You know, there's you mm-hmm. can look at you can look at rebel groups taking cities and go like, okay, it gets rough sometimes, but there's times when they're like, okay, we all got to govern, and maybe we don't. You know, doesn't get biblical, but right. Um, some of the, the reports on the ground were one of them was the wife of an interpreter uh, who was pregnant. She was beaten with a cable um, until she was bleeding. Um, and then they cut the head off her five-year-old son in front of her. Um, and one of the people that we were working with was on the phone with her, trying to get her through to, the, uh, to a, one of the gates to get medical attention. And there was just no way to get them Through to have this woman get medical attention, and so it was. Not only did they they took this interpreter and they killed him. Mm -hmm. They also took his children from his wife, and that's the kind of horror that like that these people are bringing about to Afghanistan. And that's that's you know those are accounts from people that I trust. Yeah. This isn't this isn't like Twitter nonsense. This is people who have security clearances.
0: These are people that were there.
1: That when this shit was going down, they were having to hear these things. Um, yeah. There's a place called the Sarong Tunnel, which is a, a tunnel through a mountain pass. And during the evacuation, there was you know some fighting to retake it between some of Ahmed Massoud's men and then ISIS Khorasan apparently took it and then Taliban took it back. And so um, a group of Afghans traveling north trying to head through the Sarong Tunnel were stopped um, inside of the tunnel by fighting on the other side. And so you have a number of diesel vehicles inside of a small, poorly built tunnel, pouring diesel fumes into a tunnel. And um, the sister of an interpreter got out of the bus with her brother um, and he was held down at Bayonet Point while she was raped um, outside of the Sarong Tunnel. Um, so these are things that are just like they're heartbreaking and they're happening and they're happening to real people. Yeah. And I think the thing that again I come back to is it didn't have to be like this. Didn't have to be like this. Um, and I think what uh those first couple of days after this really showed to me was the enormity of the issue mm-hmm. when me reaching out to a couple of my interpreter friends to say, like hey, what can I do to try to help your family to help get them out of Afghanistan for them saying like, hey, can you help me get my family out? Like, they're going yeah. to be they're going to be killed if they're found. Right. Um, you can't I, I can't say no to that. That's it's not that's not I don't have it in me to somebody I yeah. might I don't have it in me to say that. Right. And to to be hearing it on the ground in in real time, knowing what these people are having to go through and it is just absolutely heartbreaking, and the enormity of it—the um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just the number of passports I've seen and information cards, Teskiras, which are the Afghan identity things of like the Taliban's not just coming to uh, to kill the interpreters. It's not just their kind of M.O. It's it's you, it's your brothers, it's your sisters, it's your parents, it's, it's we'll, your get kids. The, we'll get everybody. Yeah. And we're and gonna, gonna and we're
0: just gonna kill them. We're gonna brutalize.
1: Yes, yes, it's going. It, we're going to make an example of it. And that's where I find this us as a nation having to take a stand and say, like, okay, I have to at least do everything yeah. I can to try and help these people because, like, my God, what hell did we leave them in?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If we and I, I've just um over time it becomes more like clear to me the um the sadness that i find is is really i think in like that idea of those afghan girls that we had promised and we had told about a different future like there's a real sadness in the like the reality of the fall of kabul and the fall of afghanistan but i think there's also like compounding sadness to those to that loss of dreams to that loss of all of that hope you and all of those ideas yeah, you know, you know, of
0: there's, a future. There's, being, there's yeah. no way to accurately measure that level of, to, yeah. to, to finally have a taste of education and future and hope and freedom and, and uh, yeah.
1: yeah And this was one of those things that we knew there will be <clears> no <know, throat> girls school in under the Taliban. That is no. That is something that, can be 100 percent unequivocally like stated it will not happen and they made that very clear when i it's again it's one of those things that for people who were in afghanistan and who care about afghanistan like they blew up a girl's school in april you know yeah like they killed 200 little girls just just for the crime of going to school for the crime of of wanting to learn and it's. That is something that to me is it, it brings such a visceral reaction to me, Sean, because it's um, my first kind of big ambush in Iraq was at a girls' school. I was, we were at the girls' school in Hawija on Northbridge and anyone who's ever been to Hawija knows the school I'm talking about. And we were there and we got attacked with machine guns and grenades. And I, I remember that stark contrast of that moment of like, one moment before these were giggling six, seven, eight year old girls who were learning math, you know, who mm-hmm. were learning Arabic and writing and learning about stories and reading. And they were giggling and doing all of the things that little girls do when somebody walks into their classroom, it's, you know, standing there g- giving them pencils and candy and they were giggling and laughing. And their teacher was frustrated with me because they weren't mm-hmm. learning and they were supposed to be learning. And then, I remember hearing over the radio Sergeant Davis saying, like, hey, the streets are clearing, like, prepare to get some. It's it's about to get western. Yeah. And then stepping out of that door and hearing just a blast.
2: Boom.
1: And like seeing Sergeant Rob tackle my lieutenant into a corner. And turning and looking at Mike, my buddy Mike Millen at the end of the hallway, and him turning and screaming contact at me. And like I ran a couple steps to him and like turned the corner and saw just a big black cloud of smoke where my buddy Clark had been standing. Um, and I remember turning and yelling contact and then like running. And in that moment of like that black cloud of smoke over my friend and then turning and just hearing hundreds of little girls screaming was like, and hearing the rounds like hitting the side of the, the school, like hearing heavy machine gun rounds, like slapping into the side of a, you know, they were shooting with a a PKM or something at us and hearing like a heavy PKM round hitting the the side of a girl's school was like this, this like moment of terror and horror of like, my God, they just want to learn like, and it was, they did that to make a point that you guys came to this school and you think that matters.
0: Yeah, like we're move. gonna
1: fight you to shut it down and it was like that moment of like well if this is what i'm fighting for then okay then okay if it's for little girls yeah. to be able to go to school and to learn then okay like
0: yeah I, yeah i'll know? fight for that exactly and, but and I, mean, I, I mean it also just blows my mind in the sense of just like who attacks a, a school for little girls, what, yeah. what cowards attack children
1: yeah and that was just a kind of a tactic and that yeah. The Taliban showed that in Afghanistan, you know, earlier this year when they killed, like I said, 200 little girls going to school. And it um, it's one of those things that for me, it became much more real when I, I had a daughter, you know? It yeah. just became much more real for me that like, there are people in the world who want nothing but the worst for, for her to be covered in shame with that blue cloth because this idea they have that you know that they must be covered at all times, or they, you know, have lost their morality, and their father has lost their honor, and we've culturally lost our honor, and it all just seems so silly, and it, it all yeah. just seems so disconnected from from love and from compassion, and it, 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 I find it just hard to hard to wrap your arms around how someone would would feel like that is a um a good path forward. You know, I, I, if you fight me, I don't mind. I'm an infantryman. I signed up to do this. I signed up to go to combat. Like I'm here for it. You know, I'm here for the violence. Yeah. Like if you want to fight me, fight me, that's fine. But like, leave the, leave the little kids out of it, leave the girls out of it. Like, yeah. Like why do you have to bring them into it? Why do you have to bring the children into it? And that was also another thing that I, we like to have this sanitized version of our war and the sanitized version of our war isn't real the right. reality of the reality of afghanistan is they were using children as suicide bombers yeah So you ask what kind of horror can these people bring about into the world well these are the people that we have on video listen the audience can go search it out there mm-hmm. was an australian um news cameraman who was with a group of Americans, uh, or sorry, he was a, an Australian um, diplomat who was mm-hmm. working for the Australian Aid Organization and was with some Americans. And there was an American with a, a helmet cam on and the American like looks and sees a little child, a, a 12-year-old kid, man, doesn't mm-hmm. know any better, who had a whole life ahead of them.
2: Mm-hmm. And they
1: dressed him in white. And they strapped a bomb to them and they walked them around a the corner and sent them towards the Americans. And that little child walked up and blew themselves up. And it wounded this Australian and I believe it killed an American. Um and that's those that's who these people are.
0: That's you can't negotiate with that.
1: You can't negotiate with somebody who is willing to send a 12-year-old bombing
0: because you-
1: it's because it's the can I ask you
0: a really tough them. question? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Given that that yeah. story, how long would you have been willing to stay in Afghanistan? How long would you have thought the U.S. should stay to, to stop that level of violence and, and hate?
1: I just don't know. I don't... There was there was a time when i would say like when i was there in 2013 it made sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: it made sense to stay there and it made sense to keep fighting um, but as time went on you started to see like we weren't making progress and we weren't number one we weren't making progress but we weren't doing the right things and we weren't changing we we're making the same mistakes we're making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again and that became like well we can't keep doing this and I I don't know I I think if I had my kind of pie in the sky way if I was the commander-in-chief and I was running that um the pullout, I I think I would have stayed another couple of years mm-hmm. I think 18 months being a like a baseline. Mm -hmm. I would have, um,
0: well, how long do you think the U S should have stayed?
1: I think another couple of years. Yeah. I think that would have been enough time for us to have, um, to have helped build the Afghans capability logistically, Mm -hmm. um, maintenance and support wise. like, that's, that's part of the issue that we were dealing with in Afghanistan was you had an army, which was built around these ideas of, having a Western helicopter fleet to chopper it around Mm -hmm. to support these hot zones of having a commando force to bring in to, to fight your war and then jump out and get out of there. And then the real kind of nail in the coffin for the Afghan army was when the president pulled the contractors that worked on the helicopters, because when the helicopters stopped coming, the commandos stopped coming and, and all of those combat battalions that had been going through the ringer for, you know, 10 months kind of said, nobody's coming. Mm -hmm. Nobody's coming to save us. And that's something that, you know, you can go through and you can put up with just about anything. If you know somebody's coming to get you. Nobody wants to fight for a lost cause. And when nobody's coming to get you, what's the point, man? And those Afghan soldiers at the end, they hadn't been paid. They were running out of ammo they're running out of food they probably hadn't had a decent meal in weeks they definitely hadn't been paid in weeks and at the end of the day they did what everybody else says at the end of something they i just want to go home
0: that sounds very like home. the the south vietnamese
1: i just want to just go
0: home no ammo no support
1: not ammo i'm out of money i have no yeah. food i haven't eaten
0: what am i fighting for
1: these there there's more of them today than there was yesterday i just want to go home and mm-hmm. a lot of them just threw down their weapons and went home. And I don't blame them. And I don't, I don't fault them because at the end of the day, it's, they were abandoned. Mm
2: -hmm. We
1: abandoned them. And that's, there's, I kept, you know, I I stay as far away from the news as possible. Mm -hmm. I try to, but I, I kept hearing about like a crisis of conscience and how electing Donald Trump again was a crisis of conscience for our country. And, Joe Biden was going to fix everything. And the only thing I can think now is like, what crisis of conscience are we not having at this moment in time? How are we not asking ourselves, my God, what have we done? right? And how have we done this? and how have we allowed ourselves as a nation to have slipped like to have slipped and fell so far that we don't even make the simple demand that we don't care what you do when we're gone, but we're bringing our people with us. And that gets to the point where like, I think the American people aren't aware of the enormity of the issue. And there's plenty of Americans. I've been in contact with a number of them. And it's one of the things that in all of this, as I have felt ashamed to be an American, like the first time in my life that I have felt ashamed to be an American, what I have found is this, like, I have taken some real pride in like the veterans that have, worked to help to get us to where we're at to try to get these people out there there seems to be no desire for this administration to do anything but to say that this is a smashing success and that to to me is and that to me is very frustrating to say like listen i don't fucking care yeah pardon my french i don't fucking care who gets the credit or who gets the blame blame the last guy blame yourself take all the credit Pass the credit on to whoever, I don't care. Just we're talking about people's lives, about human beings.
0: Right, just get them and out.
1: About, and about just simply our honor as a country. This, I think, is a stain upon our nation's honor that, like, the thing that we can do now to pour mm-hmm. some oxyclean onto it and to try to do everything we can to get it out is let's get these people out. Let's yeah. make that promise. Let's get these people out. Let's say we're not going to just give up. We're not going to surrender. We're not going to leave them to this this new hell Taliban 2.0 with TikTok. Like, that doesn't sound like it. Mm -hmm. How about an idea where we get these people out and they have an opportunity to build a new life here and the choice to live as they choose. And we can all be good neighbors. And that's an idea that these people can strive for and that these people embodied in the idea of a free Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. something different, because this is just. One culture demanding that everybody else live like them and to live in this hell of their creation now. and I can't find a better way to say, "Well, we can do something about that and we can get these people out. We can do whatever we have to do to get them out, because that is something that we as a country can look back and say, "God, what a nightmare, but at least at least at the end of that nightmare, we were able to do something that was worthwhile. And maybe that's just for myself and for other veterans to feel like it wasn't all for nothing. But that idea Mm -hmm. of like a free Afghanistan of a free Afghan woman, that idea can live on. You know, Mm -hmm. they may have lost their homeland. Let's give them a new home. The one thing that I learned in Iraq, meeting with Shia army, and meeting with Sunni tribal leaders and meeting with kurdish interpreters and kurdish tribal leaders and in afghanistan and talking with pashtuns and tajiks and hazaras it's like man people are a lot the same everywhere you go Mm -hmm. they kind of just want you know they want a job they want to work they want a nice house not doesn't have to be too big they want a nice car that works they want a better life for their kids yeah you know and that's something Mm -hmm. that we can provide and if if we can do that if we can if we can help to integrate these people into our city and provide for them some, some new place to belong because yep. their their home was stolen from them and it was taken from them through right. our own apathy and our own you know inability to wrap our heads around the idea of something different. And um, mm-hmm. I just find it to be one of those things that like we as a society and as a, a community, I think here in Pittsburgh especially, can really make an effort to like, just because it went down like that doesn't mean we have to leave all of the broken toys laying around
0: to get down to it. It's like, what do we have control over? And, um, and if it's making a better community for these refugees or, or the interpreters and their families, don't we owe it to them? Yeah. Um, I
1: think that, um, just a quick story about one of the, um, one of the interpreters families that we were able to, um, to get about out of Afghanistan. Um, Arif Azimi, who I, I don't know if you guys have done a story on him, but he was Alejandro Vienueva's interpreter. Okay. Um, when Alejandro Vinueva got his bronze star, um, mm-hmm. uh Arif, we all call him Azim, was there um and helped drag wounded American soldiers to safety, mm-hmm. um, ran through machine gun fire and dragged American troops to safety and set up a casualty collection point, started treating wounded Americans and and helped set up security and Alejandro Villanueva rightfully got a bronze star for that. And Azeem got, you know, good job. you yeah. know, And a certificate of appreciation. And he lives in Houston now. and mm-hmm. We got his family here. And not only did Azeem do that in that occasion, it's not like they got to do one act of heroism in that war and then they got to be brought here. Azeem went on to have multiple acts of things, of, acts of heroism. He helped carry my friend Adam Hartswick when he lost both of his legs to an IED attack through a minefield to a helicopter. You know, these are men and women who are here on these special immigrant visas who ha- who are war heroes. Yeah, who are absolute, God's honest truth war heroes. The kind of stories that, like me as a guy who is a warrior, like I look at and I go, like, My God, you're brave. Yeah. my God, you're
0: brave. That says something coming from you.
1: I appreciate that, Sean. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's that thing of like, we can accept these people. And we can, as a community, say, these people can belong here.
0: Um, how can I, as a civilian, yeah. or how can we as Pittsburghers, we, we think, yes, how can we open up our community? Is there, is there something that's already happening?
1: Yeah. Um, so No One Left Behind is a great organization that's here in um a number of cities, but they're here in Pittsburgh as well. And no one left behind was kind of the clearinghouse for information on how to get Afghan interpreters, their SIVs and all that information. It's mm-hmm. Kind of like, I, I don't particularly know where they stand on that right now because it, it all seems to be very chaotic and up in the air. And we don't all quite know what is going on with what, but there are great yeah. resources. They help to place Afghan refugee families and Afghan interpreter families, help get them job placement, help get them, you know, just the basic essentials. And I think that that's something that, um, that for all of the viewers to think about, like just right now, look around you, you have five minutes. What do you take? It's only what you can put in your pants, put in your pockets, put in a backpack and carry. What do you grab right now to go because You have to go, get out. You're now heading to another place. These people are being brought here with the clothes on their back. And so I think in the simplest way, a kind hand, give away your clothes, the clothes that you don't need, the things that sit in your closet that are of no use to you. Mm -hmm. How can they be of use to them? You know, hey, do you have couches? Are you in the market for new ones? Maybe you are, Mm -hmm. maybe you use your good fortune and you use your tax, you know, your money back from taxes to, to buy a new couch set. So you can donate that to the family of an Afghan interpreter who is now here in the United States, who had to flee with just the clothes on their back. And I think about that difficulty of, man, how difficult would it be to start over, to start over in a place where you don't even speak the language. And I think that maybe that's something that we can all do is we can take some time that if you come into contact and you end up interacting with an Afghan family find out what language they speak and try to learn a little bit cuz they're going to be trying to learn English why not be a helping hand isn't that what uh you know our patriarch here in Pittsburgh Fred Rogers would tell us to do be a helper yeah. you know look for the helpers well that's, that's one of those things that I think that we can do whatever part, whatever piece that I can play in helping to open people's eyes. To like, hey, these are really, really beautiful people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not all Taliban, man. It's not all Taliban. This is a beautiful culture, beautiful cultures. You know, mm-hmm. you can't even wrap it into one. It is multiple beautiful cultures that we as a society and as a community now get the chance to take part in and to have be melded into our beautiful little community. And these people can build a community and they can build a new homeland. Yeah and we can think about what do we do once the taliban is gone and we can build here and we can produce a generation of afghan scientists and afghan lawyers and afghan doctors who can go back and say if you only knew steeler's football it would be better <laughs> but that's a thing that we can do but it's going to take a long time and in like in yeah. all of this sadness like all of the brokenheartedness and all of the sadness is going to go away yeah. you know But at the end of the day, like we can celebrate these people's triumphs and their victories together. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be what we do in like the next six, eight, 10, 12 months. How do we integrate these people into our communities? Yeah. Because if we take some sort of, you know, nativist idea of like, well, these people didn't even fight for their country. And we had a men go die over there. Like, hey, man, my friends went and died over there. I want Mm -hmm. them here. Yeah. And I want them to have a place and I want them to feel at home. Mm -hmm. And so let's remove that from our idea of what could happen. Listen, they have nowhere else to go. So why not be the helping hand? Why not be the open door? Why not be the big wide gate? Yeah. yeah. There's always room here. There's always room on the three rivers. That's true. Plenty of, there's plenty of space, you know? And so I think that in those six, eight, 10 months, as we move forward with these There is going to be a need for us to like, to be open culturally, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: to say there is going to be like differences, but if we can open up to their culture and they can open up to ours, we're all thinking about the same things at the end of the day. We want a better life for our kids. Guess what? Their kids are going to be going to school with your kids. Yeah. Why not? Why not have your kids opened to a different cultural understanding of the world? And why not give those children their first experience of America Mm -hmm. being loving, hugging, open arms?
0: I, I'm 110% on board with that, Adam. It's it. I I, I want to echo it as much as possible um, because in the conversations I've continued to have with with uh, veterans of, of Afghanistan, and just we have to keep the conversation going. Um, the, the the we can't just fall back into the next headline and then you know we just forget about just what just happened over the last six weeks. Um, but taking in. It's not just about getting them out, but it's taking them in and saying with open arms and saying, "You're welcome here, and and you have a place here, and we are here for you," Um, because you know I can't imagine I can't imagine at all having to grab six things from here, including my daughter and my wife, and Mm -hmm. and like
1: what can you carry in your arms and in your pockets? Because that's what you get to take. That was a that was a mental experiment I was exposed to in the army that. It really made you think about what is it that matters in your life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What is it that really matters and what is it that you really care about? Right. You know, and I, and I, I, I think that one of those things that as a community we can do is like, if you get the opportunity to meet one of these families and you get the opportunity to build a relationship with them, be an advocate for them. Yeah. Be an advocate for the way that like my interpreters were advocates for me mm. with the Afghan army. Yeah. When I'm having to go and like, going to have talking to them. And it's like, well, what should I do? Well, here's the thing. And he would be like, listen, boss, these dudes love Mountain Dew and they love junk food. Get them some junk food, get them some Mountain Dew. And so every week I bring them a couple cases of Mountain Dew and some like absolute garbage that a nutritionist would like be like, no, 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 no. It's better for them to go get shot at than for you to give them that. But I would give them just trash and candy and garbage, Oreos and stuff snickers and everything that they could think of that like Afghans can't get their hands on yeah. you know but it's that those things of like be an advocate for them now yeah you know that when they come here and you get to meet them and they're like well I want to get a job like how do I... well what do you want what do you want to do yeah what do you know what how do you... I... and then be an advocate for them and maybe go see how you can use your connections totally one of the things in the world that like when you expand and when you think about like hey how many people do I know
0: mm-hmm.
1: well, I don't know Probably a couple thousand right maybe one of those people can help my friend yeah you know and i think exactly. that if we kind of take that that effort in and we as a a community we say like let's make it our communal effort to not let these people fail right. to not let this fail because we can we can as long as you have like a, as long as there's hope there's a chance you know really? as long as there's hope there's a chance and so right as long as we give these people a hope i'm saying like listen it may take six months for you to feel like you even know how to get around yeah but like listen i don't know how to get around the roads here are outlandishly confusing it's not your fault
0: that's right it's not your fault that's just that's why way... people in the south hills stay in the south hills and exactly
1: <laughs> but exactly but how do we share our culture with these people and how do we yeah. take the time to not only share our culture with them but to that allow them to share their culture with us. Cause we can, we sure can learn an awful lot.
0: Yeah, you know? I, Yeah.
1: In finality, I would just say that like laying blame does no good. Wanting retribution for the ills of the past does no good. The only thing we can do is to endeavor to create a brighter future for these people. Yeah. And that's something that we can do. It's going to take us acting as a community and acting in tandem with each other to do that. And it's, it's something that uh, there was a, a term that was was used a lot there was Shona bashona, And that means shoulder by shoulder. And that was the idea of how we were going to fight the Taliban, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, You know, and the, they used visual imagery of Spartan shields and of American soldiers with Spartan shields standing next to Afghan soldiers with shields. And we're going to stand there shoulder to shoulder. Your shield's gonna cover me, and my shield's gonna cover the man next to me, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Shona bashona. And well, that, that ended up not coming true at the end, you know? But that doesn't mean that we can't stand shoulder to shoulder with these people here.
0: I'm not even gonna attempt to try to follow it up. I'm gonna, just gonna say thank you, Adam, for because I believe, really, honestly, that for any of us to fully understand and grasp, your, your passion and understanding of, of what has been going on and, and uh, what has happened, um, we would have had to have gone through the suck uh, in the same way you have. Um, because the wisdom that you are able to bring to this situation, um, to as terrible as it is, is exactly what we need. We need a veteran's point of view on this to say, this is what's going on. Don't listen to all the noise and let's be there for people and get them out. It's, it's like a direction, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's exactly what I think we in the community need to hear, um, because otherwise, I think it's, it, it is. You just get lost in the noise.
1: I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you very much.
0: Um, to our audience, uh, thank you for, for listening to The Scuttlebutt. Uh, this was part two of our coverage of, of Afghanistan with Adam Zafuto. Um, if you liked what you've heard, um, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell. Please share this episode with as many people as you can. I, I think that this message needs to be heard. Um, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. I want to thank Millerstown Pick Apart for their generous support and sponsorship of this program. For Millerstown's hours, direction, inventory, and pricing, go to pickapartyard.com. That's P I C A P A R T Y A R D.com. Thank you so much, Millerstown, and uh, we'll see you on the next Scuttle Button.